0: Welcome back to another Faith and the Outdoors podcast with Sean McVeigh, and I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. In this episode, I'm going to cover a number of things. This might be a long episode. First, I want to talk a little bit about hunting in the late season, since that's where we're at, so I'm going to give a couple tips on that. Secondly, I want to address um, my love for Jesus and share that with you, especially want to talk about that in the form of the context of the church There's an altar in the Catholic Church. I'm going to explain what that is, uh, some of the liturgical vestments. And I also want to address the uh, very misunderstood uh, declaration that was given regarding blessing of same-sex couples, that this has been so misunderstood by the general public, so incorrectly um, recounted in the news, and... There's a lot of people who are Christians who have just listened to the news and drawn the, an incorrect conclusion of what is being said, and I'm going to address that very clearly for you here, and I am going to give you the correct understanding of what the church is saying with this document. So I'm going to comment on that as well. So all that in this, and uh, you know what else I'm going to include early on here in this episode is why am I doing the Faith in the Outdoors podcast? Why am I sharing so much Catholic theology on my Sean's Outdoor Adventures Archery and Hunting channel? Uh, Because that's the reason why I've lost probably a thousand subscribers in the last week. And, um, (laughs) And I don't care the least bit. And the reason why I don't care is because I love the Lord Jesus and I'm doing the Father's will, and I'll explain that in just a few minutes. First, let's begin with a prayer as we pray to our Father in heaven in the name of His Son, Jesus, and through the power of His Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm begging you to grant the grace of humility to all of us, especially anyone listening to the message today that I am trying to provide on behalf of you and your Son Jesus's bride, the church, Lord, help listeners come to this message with docility and tenderness of heart that they may hear what I'm saying and not be obstinate to the words that come out of my mouth today on your behalf. And I pray this all in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen. In the, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I need to say that because I I posted a short video explaining the, the Pope's document last week, and had a lot of people commenting and uh, reaching out to me on that. And it, they don't—they won't listen to me. <laughs> they will listen to non-Catholics incorrectly recount the, this. What this do, what they think the document means? This document is written for priests and bishops who have extensive education in the catholic faith and so there are a lot of details in there that there are a lot of teachings i should say that you must previously understand and fully embrace to understand what's trying to be communicated if you don't have those foundational teachings in you and your understanding then you're gonna misunderstand a lot of the other message so that's part of what's going on i'll get into that a little bit first like i said i want to start off with Uh, Tips for the late season. So here we are. um, Our late season has started this week, and I was out the other day. It was about 6 degrees, the real feel, and I saw a few deer several hundred yards away at at first light, and it got to be about 8.30 in the morning, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to pack it up because I am really cold, and I don't really want to deal with a deer right now in 6 degrees, so I'm just going to call it. But before I did, I was like, you know what? I'm going to let out a couple grunts. So I let out a couple soft grunts, put the grunt call away. Within a, f- within a minute or two, I had deer coming to me from multiple directions. And I say this because I've had great success with the grunt call in the late season. In fact, the best call that I've ever experienced in the late season is the grunt. I don't really get into rattling because the the, the language of rattling is not necessarily an attractive language in the late season in general. I'm not saying it's not going to work, but Bucks spar a lot in the late season, but they do it gently. They just kind of get into these soft sparring pushing matches like they do in the pre-rut. And um, because the aggressive period of the rut's over, they're not looking for aggressive fights, especially because as you get later in the season, it becomes easier for their antlers to fall off. And they actually continue the breeding process up until even March. That's why you'll sometimes see fawns with spots still in October because that, that, that fawn's mom was bred very late, so it was born very late. So anyhow, um, if two bucks are sparring, it's because they're hanging out together and they're like, hey, let's just, you know, let's push around a little bit. It's not like another buck's here. Oh, ooh, there's a fight over there. I'm going to go check that out and see what's going on because that's not the language at that time of year. So uh, my tip then is, you know, do a little grunting sparingly, and you might bring some deer over to you. I've had great success with that in the late season. Um, And last night I went out to my friend's lease. He let me go over to his lease and I figured I'd give that a try. I had a great outing. I saw probably 15 deer. Uh, Unfortunately though, um, my video camera, ruined a chance for me to get a shot at a buck so I was filming and I was getting lots of footage I'm like okay that's enough so I turned the camera off and then one of the deer came right to me and it was coming straight downwind to me I was like oh man it was a fawn though so I was like I hope I get away with it and it was probably 12 yards it walked past me walked right through my wind and it didn't spook so I was really happy I was like I was thanking God I'm praying you know God please don't let this deer spook because all the other deer that are right over there it could ruin things and so it's hanging out feeding about 12 yards to my right then another doe pops out about 20 yards to my left so at this point I turned the record button off on my camera but I didn't hit the power button because it it makes a, a a messy clicking noise when it powers off it's my old camera and it's got a little some issues so I was like maybe the deer will walk off by the time it powers itself off so I'll just kind of let it go and let it power itself off it takes like five minutes and then it goes into the shutdown mode so I'm standing there like perfectly still looking at the deer to my right and then kind of turning my head looking a little bit to the deer to the left make sure they're not looking at me And then my camera goes when it shuts off. And I look over and it didn't spook the little deer. I'm like, whew. Well, what it did do is it spooked a buck that I didn't know was like five yards behind me walking up straight to me in a grass field. <laughs> so I didn't hear it coming. I just hear a thump, thump, thump. And I turn around, and I just see the 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 rack. Now, it looked like maybe a three-and-a-half-year-old type of buck with all the, all the tines looked broken off. All you could really see anymore was a main beam. So, uh, you know, I'm not disappointed that I didn't get a shot. But, um, you know, it was close, you know. So anyhow... Um, my encouragement is in the late season, you know, put your time in. Afternoon hunts, sometimes the deer come out. They were moving two hours before dark in that situation. Now, that was a private land, so they weren't as pressured as you would get on public land. But um, late season, uh, afternoons are really more productive in general than in the mornings. Mornings, I'd say the first hour or so of daylight is your prime time in the morning, and then a lot of the movement really shuts down. All right, so that's a little, um, some tips or thoughts for going into the late season, you know. Um, uh, One other thing I will say is the colder it gets, the more it forces the deer to get up and feed. Uh, Yesterday, we had temperatures that hit the 40s, like about 40 degrees, uh, high 30s, low 40s. And that's not necessarily the best conditions to get the deer movement. You want, like, a high temperature of about 20 to really get them up. You know, when the temperature is between 0 and 20, and I'm talking Fahrenheit, um, that really gets the deer up moving early in the afternoon because they have to. With their metabolism, it forces them to eat. So get out there on those really cold days if you can, you you know, tough it out. Uh, Those are some productive days. Okay, so – now one person commented on, uh, like last week the episode went up and I, I said, you should be Catholic. And, and I talked about different things. Boy, I got berated. I got attacked. Uh, I spent almost two full days just responding to comments. It was like, and I, and I'm talking all day long, like uh, hour after hour, I'm, I'm replying to comments and, um, one person said, you know, you should just share the love of Jesus and, and things like that. To In one context, that's right. You know, it's not easy to talk to a camera. And like when I'm talking to somebody in person, man, I, I have a great opportunity to get into my love for Jesus and Jesus's love for us. And that really shines through. But there's also a component of sharing the teachings that are hard to hear and to fight for the truth in a sense. And because folks, we are in a spiritual battle. And at times it requires spiritual fighting. Like if you look at the the teachings and preachings of Jesus, he wasn't always nice, guys. He was like, you know, when he was battling religious teachings with religiously minded people, in particular the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there were times where, you know, he wasn't sugar-coating it. Think of John the Baptist when the the, the Pharisees showed up. He's like, you brood of vipers. I mean, he really laid into them. And so those of you who are listening who just want to hear the love of Jesus, that's great. And there is a place for it, but there's also a place for addressing the hard truths with religiously-minded people who are not willing to hear it, and you're trying to break through their hardness of heart. And so that's what a a lot of what I'm doing in the Faith in the Outdoors podcast. It's really trying to break through the lies. And boy, are there a lot of them out there, especially regarding the Catholic Church. But you you want to know why I'm doing this? It's because God loves me. God gave himself to me. And I fell in love with God, and I want everyone to have what I have. And it all begins and ends with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And that is why I have begged people in pretty much every episode of the Faith in the Outdoors podcast, please, please pray. Pray with the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. I look at the example of my own life and my own conversion and my own reversion i guess you could say like i was raised in catholic school education baptized as a catholic but i never really fully embraced the teachings of the catholic church i just was there because i had to be there and then when i was a young adult god really stepped in and changed my life and i will say that he started off by telling me very directly if you don't change you're going to hell and guys the, there was two areas of my life that I was living really in sin. One was I was engaged at the time and I was doing things in that relationship that you're supposed to conserve and save for marriage. And I wasn't going to church every Sunday. Those were the two areas of mortal sin in my life that were going to land me in hell. Aside from that, I was a good person. Like I was a nice guy. I did, I did lots of nice things for people. And we, as humans, we get this idea in our head like, hey, I'm not a bad person. God loves me. I'm going to go to heaven. Guys, that's not the case. God has given us his commandments. And if we don't make the effort to follow God and seek God with our whole being, we're going to— Some of us are going to be in for a surprise. Like when I received that grace from the Holy Spirit to know I would go to hell if I didn't change. I, I realized it was true. And up until that moment, I had convinced myself that I was a good person. I wasn't bad. Like all these, like all my friends are sleeping around with all these different girls. I'm only, you know, with the girl that I plan to marry and that kind of thing. And guys, that's, that's not true. It, you have to follow God's ways. And if you have convinced yourself that it's okay for you to live the way you are, when you receive that moment of grace, you're going to be like, wow, it's true. And now I have to accept the consequence of my situation. So for me, I just prayed for hours upon hours I was like, God. I, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I know I don't have the strength to change the way I need to change. And so God came into my life and gave me the grace and strength to change in the ways that I needed to change. And I got back to church, the relationship, the girl dumped me anyway, so God got me out of that situation. And um, wow, it was the best thing in my life. So I started to give my full effort when I went to Mass. And when I did that, I started to experience God in the Catholic Mass which I had been going to my entire life. I had the whole Mass memorized from hearing it so many times, but I never heard God speak to me before because I never really gave God my full heart at Mass. Now that I was doing that, I was hearing God speak to me through the same prayers I had heard my whole life. So guys, I love Jesus, and I came to realize that the Catholic Church believes and teaches that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, And when I realized I did not believe in that, I asked God to either give me the faith to believe that or lead me to your one true church because that's where I want to be. I want the teachings, the truth about Jesus so that I can be as close to him as possible while I'm here on earth. And... Jesus Christ led me to the Gospel of John chapter 6, to that passage, and the Holy Spirit filled me when I was reading that passage to the point where I thought I levitated. And I'm not exaggerating. I had to look down at the ground because I was so filled with God. I was so filled with joy and love and faith. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's true. And I I, I never believed it. How how come no one ever showed me this? you know? And so I was dumbfounded. You know, As a Catholic, why aren't we preaching this passage till we're blue in the face? And if you haven't noticed, guys, I have been preaching this passage even though I'm not yet blue in the face because this is the pivotal teaching of everything about Jesus Christ. Jesus said he would be with us always until the end of the age. And he didn't just mean spiritually. He meant, I will be with you physically to the end of the age. And here's what I want to incorporate something that, see, the Catholic Church is so deep and rich and goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity that there's so much people miss. Even like I was referring to this document that I'm going to talk about later, there's so much background that you need to know to even understand what's going on. First and foremost, when God created us, he created us a priestly people who offer sacrifice. Go back to the very beginning with Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. What were they doing that caused the death of Abel? They were offering sacrifice to God. They were offering sacrifice to God, my friends. That is a priestly gesture to offer sacrifice. And Cain became jealous of Abel because Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Cain's was not. And so he killed his brother over it. Guys, from the very beginning, we're called to offer sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're building altars to offer sacrifice. Now, if you're a Christian, you know that um, Abraham's son, Isaac, is a foreshadowing of God the Father and Jesus his son. So his Abraham's only son through his wife, Sarah, was Isaac, and God calls him to sacrifice his only son. And so Isaac, his son, carries the wood on his own back and says, Father, here is the flame, here's the wood. Where is the lamb for sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. And so he goes, builds an altar, goes to sacrifice his only son on the altar. And then the angel of the Lord says, nope, don't do it and you know you've shown your faithfulness to God you're willing to give up even your only son and then he you know he spies a ram and and slaughters the ram and sacrifices the ram on the altar instead folks throughout throughout history God's people offered sacrifice to God on the altar and Jesus is prefigured here carrying the wood of The sacrifice on his own back to be sacrificed on the altar. Now, here's a huge misunderstanding that non Catholics have of the Catholic faith, and I'm going to hopefully spell it out real clear for you. And hopefully, you're going to believe the mouth of this devout Catholic over some non Catholic who misrepresents this in a different way. So, we believe that Jesus died on the cross so that he could basically save us from our sins, okay? That's what we believe. Now, because of what God has ordained throughout human history, the offering of the sacrifice on an altar, we see in a Catholic church when you walk in, what's the first thing you see? An altar, okay? You walk into a Catholic church, front and center is an altar, Now, here is the big misunderstanding. Jesus offered himself on the cross once and for all. The sacrifice on the cross has been made. We do not sacrifice Jesus over and over and over again. What we do at the command of Jesus is we make present the body of Christ that was sacrificed, and we then become one with Christ. So, Jesus is not being sacrificed again. His sacrifice is being represented on the altar so that we can can receive the grace of Jesus himself on the cross. Now, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus also came to save us. Here's the depth of the Catholic belief and the plan of God is that when we accept Christ, Jesus, We don't just get a spiritual connection with Jesus. Folks, what has to happen if God wanted to be physically one with you and not just spiritually one with you? What has to happen? You have to eat the body of God if the body of God is going to be one with your body. Folks, Catholics are not just spiritually connected to Jesus. We are physically one with Almighty God because of His plan. Now, I have been directing you to John chapter 6, 51 through 58, where Jesus says repeatedly, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'm going to raise you on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Over and over. And the word for eat in the Greek means to physically chomp or gnaw on. Jesus is speaking real literally. Now, I have had, to my surprise, I've had multiple... Protestant pastors comment, and some were commenting without even revealing that they were Protestant pastors. It came out much later, Um, but I, I got a little concerned for those individuals in one respect in that we as teachers will be held with a higher accountability because if you are teaching incorrectly, you are leading people astray, and that's on you. Now, I have been directing everyone to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's words, and I have been begging you to pray with the words of Jesus. Why am I doing that? Because I love Jesus. I love my Father. I love the Holy Spirit. They have loved me to the point where I'm willing to sacrifice everything for their sake. Folks, I gain nothing out of doing this podcast except for losing followers. That's all I get out of this is losing followers. And I don't care because this is what God has called me to. And here's, I want to interject this. One person, um, his name is Nathan. He he commented like on Facebook and he said, you know, I used to follow you. I got into you for the hunting videos and the the, the um The map reading challenge, and now you know. Yeah, you always did mention God, but now with all this theology stuff, I'm unsubscribed. I'm no. I don't. I don't follow you anymore. I'm done. And I've had a lot of people say, "I I joined for the hunting, and now I'm unsubscribing." And you know, all that is a representation of is my lack of doing what God asked me to do from the beginning. It was my own fear that kept me from being more outward about everything I share now. And the Lord had to to convict my heart, uh, you know, probably a year ago. He basically said, and and I didn't hear a voice speak to me. It was like I was understanding what was happening, what God was saying to me. And, And the basic message is, Sean, you have been catering to people to try to, you know, provide content that they'll like, to try to, you know, you've, you've been holding back on on the truth because you want to keep followers. That's not what I called you to do. I called you to spread the truth, and you're not doing it. And I was like, Lord, I repent. I am sorry. And folks, that's when you saw the turning point. I have changed, and I am now the person I should have been from the beginning. I should have always been outward and explicit about my Catholic faith and Catholic teachings because that's what I'm called to do. And so this is a great purging going on now. Those who who were here when I wasn't being the full me of who I'm supposed to be, uh, they're gone. and And that's fine because now I'm doing what God has asked me to do finally after all these years. And I've had this YouTube channel for over 10 years, you know, and it took me, you know, Till about a year ago when I really started to understand, okay, I'm not doing it the way God wants me to do it. And now I'm doing it the way God wants me to do it. And I'm not doing it for gaining followers. I'm losing followers, and that's fine. I'm doing it for the Lord God. <laughs> that's what this is all about. It's because I love God, and God loves me, and I'm putting myself out there and I'm online, and it's abusive. Like, there's some of the like people who, who claim to be Christians— are so attacking, and I spent, like I said, last week when I aired the uh, episode last week, I spent really almost two full days responding to comments, and it was exhausting. And even I was getting impatient. In and, and understandable, I'm a I'm a human being, you know, and I have all the stuff that I wanted to do, and I'm I'm commenting, I'm responding to comments because you know, I for me, I just can't let all that false of, false stuff go, you know. <laughs> And um, so anyway, that's kind of the big picture of what's going on. Now, as far as the altar in the Catholic Church, when a priest comes in, in mass, he represents the presence of Jesus. He comes in and he reverences the altar. We do that for two reasons. The primary reason is this is the place where God shares his sacrifice with us. We all get up and walk up to the altar, a true altar call, every mass, and the priest or extraordinary minister of the Eucharist or deacon holds up the Eucharist that we now believe is the body of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the priest says, the body of Christ. We say amen, which means I believe. I believe this is the body of Jesus. And then we receive Jesus Christ himself into our bodies. And then the physical and total Jesus Christ becomes physically and spiritually completely one with this mortal human being. Like, oh my goodness. Like, it it's mind-blowing. It's, it's so mind-blowing that we can't fully comprehend it. But it's the gift of Jesus to us. So that's what's going on at Mass. Now... Uh, One person who I guess ended up being a minister, you know, it came out later that he wears a suit and tie at everything. And and he kind of made a comment, like, I don't wear robes and, and, and things like that. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a slight against, you know, I would say is a slight against the Catholic church because the priest wears vestments and, and no, so many people, even Catholics don't even really know why. Folks, in the early church, it was persecuted, and they, they were celebrating mass in hiding. In the catacombs, a lot of what was going on, they were celebrating in the catacombs where, where the martyrs were buried, where all the saints who were gave their life for the church were buried. They're down in there hiding, and they're wearing basically like a poncho, which is what they wore for you know, we have coats now. They had like a thing you throw it over your head, you know, your head goes through a thing, it's kind of like a poncho. They're down there celebrating mass on the sarcophaguses of the martyrs. So, when the priest reference reverences the altar, he doesn't just reverence it for the sake of Jesus giving us himself there, but there's also a relic of a saint in the altar in every church. And it goes back to this time when they would celebrate on the bodies of the saints. And so they would have mass down there. Eventually, uh, you know, Christianity, they were allowed to uh, celebrate publicly, you know, it's kind of became an acceptable thing with Constantine. And so then they come out from hiding. They're still wearing their little poncho looking things, but then they start to give a liturgical meaning to it. So, the whole year in the Catholic Church revolves around the 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 life and the birth and death of Jesus Christ, and primarily the death of Jesus Christ. All right, my my memory card just filled up, so I had to quick swap in a new one. So I was saying, my our whole existence is ordered to Jesus offering Himself on the cross and rising from the dead on the third day at Easter. So that's why we celebrate Mass on Sunday and not. Saturday is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. This is a Catholic practice that happened from the time of the apostles. Now, being that we our whole life revolves around Jesus and his death and resurrection, we have a liturgical year. So every single year, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And later on, we began to also celebrate the birth of Jesus, which we we just celebrated. So I'm recording this. What's today? Um, today is December 22nd. I'm recording this. It's going to be aired on the 26th, the day after we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So now we wear, or the, excuse me, the priest wears vestments to represent what's happening liturgically. So we're going to he's going to have white vestments which is, are worn on the highest celebrations like Christmas, Easter. These these are times of years where and sometimes gold but usually white vestments. Now, when we're in a preparation period like Advent and Lent, we are we're offering penance. Like people don't realize Advent is a time of pen, penitential preparation for the coming of Christ, and we also are preparing for the coming of his second coming. And so we wear the priest wears purple and that's a sign of penance we are, we are preparing same at lent so that's what's happening and then in ordinary time when we are keeping time until we come up upon advent or lent again the priest wears green green represents ordinary time it's not it's not ordinary in the sense of, uh, you know, just, oh, nothing nothing special is going on. It's it's a time period where we're like, okay, this is where we're supposed to live the gospel. We're supposed to be out evangelizing. We're supposed to be bringing people to Jesus. And then when we hit Advent and Lent, it's like, okay, whoa, pause for a second. We got to remember that we're preparing for the coming of Jesus. So now we, we add extra penance and stuff in. So the vestments' colors are for specific reasons, and then they wear red for, like, That when we remember someone who gave their life for the church, a martyr, like Peter and Paul, they're martyrs for the church, the, the priest would wear red. And so every time you look at the priest during Mass and you see that vestment, it reminds you, where am I at in my journey with Jesus and what is my mind supposed to be focused on right now? Okay, he's wearing purple. I'm supposed to be penitential. So in my prayers during Mass, I add extra penitential prayers. For the sake of a martyr, I actually remember, okay, God, I'm supposed to be giving my life for you and your church. I have to be ready to lay down my life. Lord, help me. Give me that grace. And so that's what's happening. There's, Folks, there's just so much, and I'm looking down now. Man, I am approaching probably right around a half hour I've been talking, and I haven't even gotten to the uh, papal document yet, and I want to give some time for that because that is um, a pretty serious topic. So um, anyhow, let me just— come come to a conclusion on the mass. And so when you go into a Catholic church and you see an altar, it's because we are focused on the death and resurrection and offering of Jesus to us. Jesus has made himself physically one with us. I have directed and begged you to prayerfully read John 6, 51 through 58. And especially if you are a pastor, put all your education aside for a minute. What other people talk to you about what other people taught you, sit down with your Bible. I don't care what translation it is. Sit down with your Bible and pray. Start with prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit. Then prayerfully read that passage, John 6, 51 through 58. Prayerfully read it several times slowly. Let God speak to you. Say, Lord, I love you. I give my life to you. I don't want to give the wrong teachings about you. Help me know the truth so that I can share it. Speak to me. What are you saying here? Because, guys, this is the pivotal teaching. If Jesus is present in the Eucharist in the Catholic Church, then you need to respond to that. If he's not, then carry on as you have been. But I'm here to tell you he is. And the only way you'll get to that faith is to ask for the gift of faith and ask for the Spirit to speak to you. What is God trying to say to you? And you'll notice if you read past that at some point, in verse 60, Jesus' closest disciples, which you are one of, said, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? Then Jesus mentioned a literal event, so a literal context, that what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That is a literal event that was going to take place. It is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh, is of no avail. And the flesh means our fallen human nature. You need to follow the Holy Spirit and not your fallen human nature. Guys, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus invites the 12 apostles to leave if they don't want to believe in this teaching. After his closest disciples left recorded in John 6 6 6 that's John chapter 6 verse 66 he turns to the 12 and says will you also leave Peter says Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we believe that you are the Christ and this is also where we find out about Judas being a betrayer in a sense it's over this teaching when Peter says you have the words of eternal life what he's saying is what you are teaching are the teachings of eternal life we believe that so we can't go anywhere else. You, this is it. So those of you who are not Catholic, especially you, you preachers and teachers, this is crucial for you because you will be held at a higher accountability at your judgment when you die. So don't just rationalize and say, oh, I'm going to heaven because I'm trying to live for God. Paul said he beats himself essentially and, and trains himself so that he doesn't lose the promise himself. So go read Paul on that. And he also says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for in my flesh, and make up for what is lacking the afflictions of Christ. It's not that Christ's suffering was insufficient. It's that God calls us to suffer with Christ for the sake of salvation. I have been suffering intensely. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, Jesus didn't hide his suffering. Look at that. He's exposed on a crucifix. I have an image of it here. It. You know what? I have been really suffering from doing this podcast. and um, But I'm called to do it, and I have to do it. Just as Jesus said, I must go and die at the hands of these people. And Peter says, no, Lord, no, no, that surely that will not happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, you Satan, because we will carry the cross and die on the cross with Christ, if we are following Christ. If you are not experiencing the cross in your life, it means you're not doing it right. Okay. So now let me share with you one of the big, huge crosses, which has been this papal document that has been released that people haven't read. And even if they read it, like I had one pastor commenting, he read it and listened to all these other Christian, not not Catholic, but Christian commentators, and drew a conclusion that this is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And anyhow, he drew a conclusion that was not what I had explicitly stated in my last video, and I'm going to recount here. And I have I actually have my laptop sitting here and I have the document. I there's so many things that I highlighted to read excerpts, but I'm gonna probably run out of time. So I'm gonna basically summarize. Uh, what I basic what I can here. And, and I'll read a few things. So right in the like the introduction, before they even get into well actually before the introduction, they have a little statement and it says um so it says, as with the Holy Father's above mentioned response to you know the, the Cardinals, uh, this declaration remains firm on the traditional doctrine of the church about marriage not allowing any type of liturgical rite or blessing similar to a liturgical rite that can create confusion. So right at the onset, it's it's saying the church is remaining firm in her doctrine. You need to even understand what is the church's doctrine to understand what that statement means. So in the Catholic Church, only a man and woman who are free to marry— can get married in the sacrament of marriage in the liturgy at a church. And in fact, if you even if you're catholic listening right now, if you did not get married within the context of the church with the priest or deacon there to bless the marriage, then you 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 basically are not currently living in a valid recognized marriage before God. Like if you had a destination wedding on a beach somewhere, if you went to justice of the peace, you need to go and get that rectified. You need to go to a priest to have your marriage blessed properly so that you are living in a listed sacramental marriage. So uh, get on that if you're in that category. And so anyhow, that's that's first and foremost. Secondly, and I stated this in my other video, the Catholic Church's teaching on sexual morality, is that it is a mortal sin to engage in sex outside of marriage. I restate, it is a mortal sin to engage in sex outside of marriage. If you are not a validly married couple, you should not be doing that. That means you should be living celibately. Now, this is going to be hard to hear because guess what? Our culture is saturated with sex. Everybody's having sex in our culture. It, like The way it's portrayed in the news, in the media, in the movies, you can't even watch a movie anymore, with, it seems, without two people jumping in bed. And that's mortal sin, which means sin unto death. I don't even care if you think you're a Christian. I'm telling you right now, if you are engaged in that kind of behavior, you are living in mortal sin, which is sin unto death. And then when you face Jesus on your judgment, because we will all face judgment when we die, you'll be judged on your works. That's what the Bible says, on what you did. Read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, and you'll see the people who were judged, who were worthy of heaven, were people who loved their neighbor, their acts of love. Okay, so also Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, I believe it's uh, verses 21 through 23, that the, pe- the only people who go to heaven are the people who do the will of the Father. Those are the people who go to heaven. What is the will of the Father? To live the commandments. And the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is where this falls under. So adultery essentially is when you have sex with somebody outside of the context of marriage. Now, if you have been married and you went through a divorce and you remarried, the, you, the scripture even says you're basically you're living you're causing that person to live in adultery, or you're living in adultery, and that is a mortal sin. So you need to get that fixed up. Now, in the context of that, the church has grounds for a valid marriage. There there needs to be things present at your wedding for it to be a valid marriage. If they're not, you can be granted a decree of nullity, which means there was never a valid union. And so you are actually still free to have a sacramental marriage. And in order to find out where you stand with all that, you need to go through the annulment process. You need to go to a priest or deacon and go through that whole thing. So the church has to look at your situation individually and determine were you sacramentally married, validly married to begin with. And if you were, you cannot remarry. That's God's plan. It's what's in the Bible, okay? Okay. So um there were situations where uh, a person could remarry like um, like the one gospel and I forget which one it was says unless the person was unfaithful like you cannot you know remarry so there was a, there was a stipulation of of, of a of mar- a person who could remarry and that's what the church looks at it says were there components present that renders that initial attempt invalid to where you would be available to marry. Again, between a man and woman. Those are the only two people who can engage in this type of activity. Now the, this document goes on to state multiple times in several places that the church is does not want to confuse anyone with by saying anything about a blessing, there is no liturgical rite or blessing for anybody at all uh, you know like if you, only for this couple getting married you can have a liturgical rite and blessing with the with the rite of marriage with the sacrament of marriage and the document says we do not want that to be confused then the document says what is a blessing a blessing is not a sacrament it is there's two paths of blessing. One, we bless God. Well, thank you, God. We bless you. We adore you. We praise you. There is a, there's a component of man blessing God, but we're talking about God blessing man. So there is a, a component where God blesses man. And the time that we ask for a blessing is when we need God's grace and help to live according to His will. Now, I've already stated very clearly that the understanding and mind of the church when it comes to God's will and sexual behavior, it is a mortal sin to engage in sexual activity outside of the context of a valid marriage. Which means no one, not even a man and a woman, can engage in that activity outside of a valid marriage that has been recognized and blessed in the church. So if you happen to be a man living with a woman and that's not your wife, you're just living together, you're living in mortal sin and I'm sorry to be the—well, I'm not sorry to be the one to tell you that because someone has to tell you that, but that is the actual truth. Even if you're a Christian, even if you're going to church on Sunday, even if you love Jesus, you're living in mortal sin. You need to straighten that out. Let the Holy Spirit convict your heart. Let yourself be driven to make the adjustments. If you were going to a Catholic church and say, hey, I want to get married, the church would say, okay, we'll stop living together until you're married. That's what the church would ask you to do. And if you're in a situation where you cannot live in separate places because of like, oh, we can't afford it. Well, you got to live in separate rooms as brother and sister until you're married. That's what the church would tell you to do. So in order to do that, you need God's grace. That's where you can ask for a blessing. So this document is not just same-sex couples. It is heterosexual couples too can ask for a blessing. And so, but what is the blessing? It's not to say we agree with what you're doing. A blessing is to help you live according to God's will. And this is where this whole thing has been radically messed up and confused by people is because people have been viewing a blessing as, as if the church is saying, we approve of what you're doing. That is not what the document states nor is it what the church is saying. And in fact, it says it explicitly in the document. This cannot be confused with the church condoning behavior or accepting behavior. This is to ask for God's grace to live according to his will. Where I think the church dropped the ball with this document is that It didn't take into consideration all the non-Catholics and all the media who were going to read it, not knowing the church's teaching on all of these things and would read into it what they wanted to hear it say. So now I want to talk about the pros and cons of this. So the, the con is that the church did not put enough verbiage in here to help compensate for all those who don't know what the church teaches. So that is a massive con. Here's a pro, though. Oh, and you know what? Let me actually interject this before I get into the pros. The church, the document, rather, goes on to stay not only can you not offer any kind of blessing in the context of the liturgy, because you cannot let this be confused with a valid marriage or, or, or that the church is approving this. You cannot do that. The only thing you can do is a spontaneous private blessing. So this is what that means. If I'm a priest, which I'm not, but just for the sake of example, if I'm a priest and this gay couple comes out to me and says, Father Sean, can we have a blessing? Now, me as the priest would say, okay, let me ask you, what are you asking for a blessing for? Well, we want, we want God's blessing on our marriage. Well, then me as a priest, here's, here's the pro is that I can now teach these people how to live according to the Father's will. And I would say, you know what? I cannot do that. You know why? Because it's not God's will. Now, I know it's tough. I know it's hard for you to feel attracted to each other. And I know it's a painful thing. And I know it's it's hard to feel rejected by people. And you just want to be able to love and be able to live the way you think God created you. But guess what? We are all broken due to sin. We all have what's called concupiscence, which is the inclination towards sin. So even like a man and a woman who are attracted to each other, they will have inclinations drawing them, tempting them to engage in sexual activity outside of the context of a valid marriage. And they have to fight against that too, just as you do. Everyone has to fight against the inclination towards sin. And that's where you know this has been unfortunate for you is that people haven't been teaching you that. You're not going to find happiness in each other. The only way you'll find happiness and fulfillment is in living God's will, which does require sacrifice. Now, I can bless you in the sense of asking for God to help you live according to his will, which is celibacy in the context of your life. But I cannot bless you in the sense of saying, oh, I, the church approves what you're doing. Do you, do you understand the difference there? And then they'll be like, uh, yeah, I understand the difference. Well, do you want to live according to God's will? I invite you to that. I invite to, you to offer a blessing to you for that. That's all I can do. What just happened there, folks? These people are catechized. They're taught the truth. Now the Holy Spirit can work on them to bring them to living according to God's will, which is what the document states. The only time a blessing can be given is in certain certain circumstances, and now the person, the pastor, has to discern if they should be blessed. Now, if I'm the pastor and the, the couple says, "Oh no, we we're not going to live according to God's will. We just want to be blessed for the way we want to live," then I would say, "Like I cannot." I cannot ask for that kind of blessing because the church cannot offer a blessing on sin. The church can offer a blessing in the sense of asking for God's grace to live according to God's will. So guys, that's what this document states. And it's been so misconstrued. And you have to have a solid understanding of Catholic teachings to understand the document. If you don't have a solid understanding of catholic teachings do not expect to read a document that was intended for priests and bishops do not expect to understand it correctly i personally i've been in catholic school my whole life i was in a religious order for almost 4 years and i went through intense studies there i have a masters in theology a catholic from a catholic college i have extensive education in the catholic faith so i understand What the church teaches, and I understand what the church is saying. Now, you can accept what I have shared regarding this document, or you can accept what some media outlet is saying about what the Catholic Church teaches. But what is the wise source? to take your understanding from someone who deeply knows and understands that loves Jesus loves Jesus's bride, the church and only wants to share the truth, even though it will cost him dearly. Do you want the truth from that person or do you want what someone is portraying in the media for their agenda? Folks, I gain nothing out of this except basically hardship. The media has an agenda. Who would you rather listen to? I'm trying to tell you the truth because I love God. And everyone at some point in time is going to find out what the truth is, if not sooner, on your day of judgment. But I do believe if you love Jesus and you love the Holy Spirit, you can take what I've said to prayer. If you want to attempt to read the document, you can. But the document clearly and explicitly states that only marriage is only between a man and a woman. And it doesn't even clarify like I did by saying someone who is available to marry, it's, you know, marriages between a man and woman who are available to marry is really what I added, because there are people who are going, a man and woman who are trying to get married, who are not available to marry. So let's take the example of a divorce. If someone was divorced, they're not automatically available to marry. They're their relationship needs to be looked at first to see if they are available to marry. If you are in a relationship with someone who's divorced and they never had it looked at, especially if you're Catholic and so is that person, ooh, you guys are in trouble. (laughs) Because you need to have that looked at first so that you're not living in the sin of adultery, which is a mortal sin unto death, which means you're putting a relationship with another person Ahead of your relationship with God, and that in itself is a sin. You will not find the fulfillment that you're called to find and that God wants you to have in that relationship. Relationships are things that God calls us to for his purpose, you know, and the children that you have in marriage are because God has a will and a plan for those children. And so if you're approaching a relationship, you better be doing it praying for God's will. Lord, is it your will for me to marry this person? And if you're not even av- available to marry, that's not even your prayer. is Lord, help me live the way you're calling me to live according to my state in life. And if if you want to make me available for marriage, help me get to that point. So that's where you ask for the blessing from the church to be able to live according to God's will, in the context of your life. And that's what this document is saying. And the document is saying we should extend that to same-sex couples who are trying to live according to God's will. And the background intention, which is the pro of the the whole thing, is that couples who are same-sex couples who go to the church and go to an actual good priest or bishop will be catechized and taught and be hopefully brought closer to Jesus and the truth and the Father's will. The con, again, to this is the wording for the pub, the general public has not been sufficiently stated on various church teachings to help make it clear to them, and so it's been misconstrued. And another con will be those priests or bishops who are living in sin, who are currently a pawn of the devil, will probably abuse this and— offer blessings that are against what the document is saying, and we need to pray for those people because they're on the path of hell. Even though they're in the church, that can happen. And you know what? And I'm going to conclude probably with this statement here. So there are people, and there are people who commented, oh, I would never be Catholic because Catholics are pedophiles or priests are pedophiles or, or whatever. And that is the sinful example of a person. That's not the teachings of the church. It's a sinful example of a person, even a person in charge. And do you reject the teachings of the apostles because of the sinful example, the scandalous example of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide? Probably if you're a Christian, you just said no. So then why are you doing it now? Follow the teachings that have been laid down Stop using that as an excuse. I mean, if you're using that as an excuse to not go to church, you have a wound. You need to take that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to heal me. Because you know what? I'm opposed to going to your church, and I'm holding this against your church. And if you want me to go to church, which you do, I need you to heal me. Because there's an issue there, guys. The church, I mean, so I've been working... With or in the church in some capacity since the early 2000s. I mean, actually, since the 1990s, since I was in the religious order. In 2002, I had to go through child sex abuse training so that we could recognize pedophile behavior and we had to learn how to properly report it, not just to, you know, officials in the church, but to the police. And we all go through that training every single year, even a volunteer in the church. And there is a zero tolerance policy in the church. If someone has even accused of pedophilia or sexual abuse, they are immediately removed from their priestly duties. They cannot say mass in public. They are removed until the investigation is done. Even if they're found innocent, they are removed from their priestly faculty position in the public's eyes until the it's finished and if they are found guilty they are turned over to the police one of the priests that i grew up with in my own parish ended up being arrested for pedophilia and i see it too because like i i here i am a faithful catholic i was never molested by this priest but he when we would go to play basketball at the gym he would put his hands up our shirt and our t-shirt in the front and back and rub our chest and our back and we would be like, what the heck is this guy doing? And I was like an eighth grader, ninth grader. And so I have been there, folks, but I did not leave the church. I mean, he that's all the more he did with me. I think what he would do is he would test to see our reaction, and he would look for the ones that he felt like he could advance with, and then he would maybe try to do that. I don't know. But he was arrested. The man spending his life in prison, I think um, his father, Father Brennan, He was in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. If you want to look him up, you certainly can. I know for a while he had moved to New Jersey when he was removed from office. He was not allowed to celebrate Mass, but ultimately he was arrested and put in jail. And folks, that is because the church repented because the church handled it incorrectly in the beginning. I repeat, the church handled it incorrectly. They would move, they would take a priest. Have them go to counseling. They thought, okay, they're fixed from the counseling. Then they would put them in a different parish, and it would happen again. Because guess what we found out? This is not a curable disease. It is a very, very deep and dark disease, pedophilia. And the church has basically said, absolutely not. When someone's found with that type of an issue, they are removed from priestly duties. They are turned over to the police. And they're no longer eligible to celebrate the sacraments. So there is a zero tolerance policy. And if you didn't know that, it's because the media is not telling you that. But guess what? It's been going on for over 20 years. The church has implemented this type of thing. Now, one person said, oh, well, there's, you know, there's issues in my diocese that aren't being addressed. Uh, hey, if, you want, if that's happening, well, shame on them. Okay, report it to the next step up. Report it to the archbishop of the state. If it's the archbishop, then go to to report it to somebody in the Vatican. Say, hey, they, they aren't dealing with this properly. But the church has a zero tolerance policy. And anybody who even wants to volunteer has to go through child sex abuse training so that they can know how to spot it and report it. Because the church will not tolerate that. This is the church that Jesus founded and the devil constantly tries to take down. But guess what? the the devil is not going to succeed because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. So there you go. This has had a lot in this episode, and you know I encourage you to go back and listen to it again because there are some important points, uh, especially if you are a pastor or anybody who doesn't currently believe Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. I'm here to tell you that he is, and God gave me the gift of faith through the, the scripture passage I've been begging you to pray with. If you just try to use your own human reasoning, you're not going to come to the truth. You need the gift of faith, which can only be given by God. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot just make up your own faith that can believe in this teaching. You need a gift from God. So if you want Jesus, if you want the Father, if you want the Holy Spirit as much as I do, then get on your knees and beg for the gift to have the faith to believe in what Jesus is speaking to you in this passage. John chapter 6 51 through 58, it's the starting point. And then go back and listen to the rest of this podcast because I addressed so many other things like the liturgy, the mass, the altar, important details that you need to know when you walk into a Catholic church so you have a perception of what is taking place at every mass. Folks, I am Sean McVeigh with Sean's Outdoor Adventures. This is my faith and the outdoors podcast. And I urge you to pray with that passage. And the reason I do it, It's because I love Jesus, and I know that this is the most profound place that we can encounter Jesus while we are here on earth, and I want you to have that. I so much want you to have that. God bless you.